0: Not very good with the mic either, and if I didn't love you so much, I'd clobber you. (laughs) (laughs) I can say that to Josh. I feel he's one of my kids. Anyway, it's so good to be with you today in the house of the Lord, and isn't it wonderful to be where the presence of the Lord is? Don't you feel his presence this morning? And uh, that's just wonderful indeed. While I was seeking the Lord about um, what to share this morning, some weeks ago I was going to go in a different direction, but... uh, having talked to my husband, my great counselor, proud of him, thankful. Anyway, uh, we're going in a different direction, and we're talking about a subject that you all so love. We're going to talk this morning about spiritual warfare. We don't love it, but we need to know about it. I believe we're in a day and age when we need to have a little more understanding about it. And... uh, If we're going to take on the things that the enemy is throwing at us this day, then we need to know God's way of dealing with things. So, turn with me this morning to Exodus chapter 17, and there we are going to read from verses 8 to 16. I want to say about spiritual warfare, it's not always of our own making, but it always goes beyond our human involvement and human interaction. And it always takes God's intervention to win. Don't try to win it on your own because it's God and God alone that's going to walk with us and strengthen us and take us through it. And that's how we win when we do it God's way. So I want you to turn to, uh, as I said, Exodus, because here we have the first conflict for Israel to be involved in. This is the first military conflict that they're going to be involved in. And we will just read uh, from verses 8 to the end of the chapter. It says this, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses write this for a memorial to the uh, for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name The Lord is my banner. We can stop there. Okay. Before we jump into this this morning, I want to just give you a little background uh, to what's taking place here, and it'll make more sense to what we're going to talk about. First of all, we are reminded that children of Israel have already experienced so many miracles of God. They've been brought out of Egypt under the hand of a leader called Moses, and uh, that was one of the greatest miracles of all times in all of history. And then we come to Exodus 14, and then in Exodus 14, we see that incredible crossing of the Red Sea. They thought, uh, you know, that they were going to be taken, and they were going to be defeated by the, Isra- by the armies of Egypt. And so they come to the sea, and we know, we would love the story, we've had films about it, about those, tr- that sea just opened up. They walked through on dry ground. But as far as the enemy was concerned, they drowned in that sea. So we see the wonderful crossing. In chapter uh, 15 we find that we have this wonderful celebration. And rightly so. How many of you know there are times in our life we've got a reason to celebrate? And this was a great reason to celebrate. It had been a time they could praise God. They were singing. We see Miriam takes the tambourine and she takes off dancing with the women. And that whole chapter is about the wonderful celebration of Israel. And they had reason. Until we come to the end of that. And so we see the cross in the celebration. And then Exodus 15, 22. It's been three days later after this wonderful celebration. And they've come to a place in the desert, three and a half days journey, and they find there's no water. When they have water, it's bitter water. So what do these praising, wonderful people do? They start to murmur, And they start to complain. Now, you can say to me, but Mary, they had reason to complain. We will complain if we didn't have water. And that's true. But God had already done so much for them. There was the cloud. And there was the fire by night. There was the wonderful miracles of bringing them this far. And God wanted them to come to a place that they could learn to cry out to God when a problem would arise. But did they do that? No. No. They cried out to their leadership. And so this would not have been pleasing to God. So we see this complaining that goes on about the bitter water. But God takes care of it uh, through Moses and through the miracle. But we come on then to Exodus 15, 22. And uh, this is about two and a half months later since leaving Egypt. And some things there, they are sitting and they're reminiscing. And suddenly they're missing Egypt. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? But isn't that what it's like with us? We remember some of those great things and we forget, you know, the tough times that brought us where we are today. And so they start, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have those pots of stew that we used to have down there, that wonderful meat and the bread. Oh, they had the best bread. And they and suddenly they start this complaining again and they start crying out to Moses and crying out to Aaron. And hear this this morning because we need to hear it. They were complaining to the leader which was God's anointed, God's appointed. God wanted them to call out to him, and they refused to do it. But this was the problem. They were looking to their leaders to do for them what only God could do. That was a miracle. Now hear that, because we are living in a generation today when we are looking to our leadership too whether it's in the church or whether it's political. But sometimes we're expecting our leaders to do for us that would take a miracle and only God. And you know why it happens? God is waiting for his people to call out to his name and for God to do what he desires to do, especially for his own people. But they refuse to do that. And this is the amazing thing that I find in this continuation. It says the the whole congregation murmured, and complained about, I mean, they've got the majority, the whole congregation. Can you believe that? But as we go on in this chapter, we'll see the caring nature of our God. And I want you to see this this morning. Here they are carrying on. Here they are complaining. And after all, we are told that we should touch not God's anointed, but they are surely pulling their anointed apart if they could. But in the middle of all this, we see the caring nature of God. After all, God was the provider of the cloud, the fire, the water. And then he supplies uh, manna, which would be bread from heaven. And not just the manna, he provided quail so they could again have meat to eat. That's the kind of God they served. But more than that, because while they are in that wilderness while they're in that place of nothingness, while they are out there, the place of nowhere, if you want to call it, they say that God wanted to draw them to him. And in the middle of nowhere, he reveals himself to them. He said, come near to me. And as they looked up into the clouds, it said, they saw the glory of God. And I want to say this to you because there's a lot of you might be going through crises today. A lot of you, perhaps, are going through what you would call a wilderness, but in the middle of you and nowhere, God is there, and he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to make his presence known to you. He wants you to come near. If you remember, Jesus said to his disciples when he was talking to them in the praise of John, he said these words, he said, I will manifest myself to those who love me. And if you love Jesus this morning, he will manifest himself to you. He will make his presence known. He wants you to come near because that's the caring nature of God. And so in the middle of nowhere, the desert, God is there. And I think that's a word that we can remember today in our lives. We go on and we come to the chapter that we read this morning. We didn't read the first part of it, but let's just take a look at it. Because now... God has moved them to another place. It's called Rephidim. And again, we have a problem. Maybe God's testing them. I don't know about you, but I don't like tests you. (laughs) But here is God testing them. No water. What happens? And I want you to notice in the scripture of chapter 17, it said, and all a congregation of children of Israel set out on the journey. They were at Rephidim. There was no water. Now notice this in verse 2. Therefore, the people contended with Moses. It's no longer complaining. It's contention. When we continue to complain and complain, it will develop a spirit of contention, which is anti, which is against, and, uh, and which I, I feel is, is evil But we need to guard our hearts because out of it flows the issues of life, right, and our spirits. And just because we go go through things that we don't understand, we need to guard them. We need to cover it. And we need to guard ourselves against the contentious spirit or that of chiding. And notice what they said if you uh, come towards the end. They said, is the Lord among us? And they wanted to stone Moses. I mean, this is real spiritual people we have here, right? And so... But this battle, and so we see through all of this, that they have developed this horrible spirit that God needs to deal with. And yet in the midst of that, what does God do? He provides a miracle because Moses cries out to the Lord, which is what they should have done. And the Lord said, strike the rock. I want to say something about the striking of the rock. It doesn't say in Scripture, But if you look at the Jewish writings and the historic thing about this, it'll tell you that when Moses struck that rock, it wasn't a trickle that came out. It was a literal river that gushed out of the rock. And this is the kind of God we serve, right? He's an abundant God. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. And so here they have this wonderful water coming out. Now then, if you notice, as we come into the end, it says, So he called the name of the place Masad and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the backdrop to what we are talking about today. And it comes to verse 8, which is where uh, we started our text. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. There's three things I wanted to notice, but perhaps before... We jump into that. I want you to understand, Israel did not initiate this battle. We don't have to initiate the battle when there's an enemy out there. They didn't initiate. To to say it quite bluntly, they would have been stupid to do so. Amalek was a professional warrior. People will talk more about that. But we find that as far as Israel was concerned, they were inexperienced. What were they? They were shepherds. They were slaves. They were used to making rock, making brick and building. They'd been shepherds, but they'd not been warriors. They would be outnumbered at this particular time. And so all these things would have gone against them. And so this battle is not initiated by Israel. They were inexperienced, unqualified, and where would they get their weaponry from? Well, we don't know, but some people suggest they might have brought some of it from Egypt. Others think that some weaponry was washed up in the shore when Egypt was uh, caught in the water. Who knows? But they must have had something. But what we need to know that they are coming up up against a formidable Uh, military power, and they do have no experience, they're unqualified, and this is the situation. I say that because there are times when the enemy comes into us like a flood, and we feel so inexperienced. We feel that we know nothing about it. How did I get into this, Lord? And I want you to know, to win, you don't have to be qualified, but you do have to know an almighty God, because he is the one that fights for us, right? And so... Let's look at three things. First of all, we need to know who is Amalek. Then we need to find out um, uh, what uh, Israel is going to do. And we need to know why is Amalek going to come against them. So first of all, let's look at the first question. Who is Amalek? Well, the name Amalek means warlike. They were warlike not just in name but also in nature. And so these are the people. Actually... If we turn to Genesis 36, 12, we find out who they are. They are distant relatives. (laughs) Now, I don't think they're gonna have a family reunion. And I, though some family reunions are a little warlike. I won't say any more about that. But we love our family reunions, don't we Riley? I've got my granddaughter with me today because Stephen's in San Antonio and she's taking care of me, so I'm blessed. But uh, but anyway, this is no family reunion about Amalek. But in Genesis, we find that uh, Timnah was a concubine of Esau's son. And she was the one that bore Amalek. And I said, she not just uh, means warlike in name, but also warlike in nature. And so, if we turn to Deuteronomy, also there's another description of him. He, He was known to be evil. He had no time for God or for the people of God. He was an enemy to God's people. But in Deuteronomy 35, I believe it is, 17 to 18, it lets us know there a little bit more about it. It says about Amalek, he did not fear God. And you know something, the worst people that we can have come against us is those that have no fear of God. We're living in a day and generation when we're going to be that kind of battles, right, against people that have no fear of God. But I want you to know our God is to be feared because he is great and he is mighty and he is in control of all these things that's going on. Okay, now why would, why would Amalek attack? Israel at this particular time? And I think there's three ideas. The first idea I'm going to throw out to you is a Mary Evans idea, so you don't have to accept it, okay? <laughs> but when we've looked at the background of this particular verse, and we asked why, is it feasible that the contentions against God, the fighting against one another, the contention against God's anointed and appointed leaders... Is it feasible, because of all these contentions and murmurings, and they just didn't seem to learn to do what they should have done, and they tempted God himself, is it possible that the Lord is saying, okay, you can fight against one another, I'm going to give you a real enemy to fight, and Amalek indeed would be a formidable uh, uh, enemy in which to fight, and afford to contend with? I don't know. That's just a, a, an idea there. But here they were. They were fighting against Moses, fighting against Aaron, and they were God's anointed. And I believe you wondered sometimes if God said, okay, I'll give you a real enemy to fight so you don't fight against the people that I have set in your midst. That could be one reason. But there's another reason that's very obvious. When you have water in a wilderness, it's more it's more desirable than gold, isn't it? And when they saw that river, I'm sure they wanted it. And I want to say something about this. Because you know something? God blesses his people, even though we do contend, even though we complain. God still blesses us. How many of you know that in the midst of an attitude, God has still blessed you? We wonder why. But in the midst when you're just, you know, God still ministers. God still comes through when, with our needs and everything, as he did for these people right here. But you know something? When God blesses us, we need to understand this. We need to guard and we need to protect what God has given to us because the enemy wants what we have, church. You know, Brent was talking this morning about the great blessing that we have from our worship team and for those that faithfully serve in the choir and the orchestra or whatever ministry is in the church. But if the enemy could bring it down, he would. If he could steal it, he would. In fact, we know of people that are singing for the world today that started at the altars of the church. The enemy wants what God has given to us. It's precious. It's life-giving. And we need to protect with everything that we have that which God has given to us. And so this could be another reason that they are going to fight them for, most probably. But don't take God's blessings for granted, but guard it and keep it and hold it and hang on to it because they are from the Lord and they are worth protecting. But there's a third idea, and it's this. They're in Rephidim. They are one encampment away from Sinai. Sinai is going to be that very special place for a special people where he was going to bring those people unto himself and make them his own and his own special people. And, and a lot of things that was going to happen there at Sinai, the Lord was going to give to his people the law. He was going to give them and show them how to build a tabernacle in the midst of a wilderness. And there in the tabernacle would be the ark of God's presence. Because he wanted his presence to be among them. He was going to dwell among them. He was going to form a priesthood there. He was going to make them a nation of kings and priests. He had a future for them. And he still has a future for us today. And you know something? Amalek wouldn't have known about that. But Satan did. And you can be sure of this, if he can stop doing, stop us doing what God wants to do with us. Because God has a future for every one of you here this morning. God has something special for you. He wants to make you. He wants to mold you. He wants to uh, do something in your life so that you're going to be special, not just to him, but to the world. And that was the idea of all of this. God has a special purpose for Israel and there was something else about Israel too, because it was out of this people that he was going to form a generation and out of this and a genealogy in which Jesus Christ the Messiah would be born. How many times have we gone through scripture and seen the times that the enemy has tried to stop and cut off the different race and the different generation that Jesus was going to be born into? And so we ask who is Amalek? And why is he attacking? But the most important question I want to talk about this morning is this. What will Israel do? When the enemy comes in like a flood, what? It's not what what will we do. It's what will God do. And that's what we find in this passage here. To overcome that which is bigger than us stronger than us, mighty than us? How do we bring down strongholds? And I want you to know what, ha- notice what happens here. First of all, it's Moses that takes the initiative. And you know why? Because he's God's given leader. And that's what God's leadership does. He makes the decisions. And here, the first thing he said, and there's two things as, as we notice. there's going to be Moses' role and there's going to be Joshua's role. He says, to Joshua. I want you to choose men. Now, I want you to know this is the first mention of Joshua. This is going to be the first battle for them to engage in. I don't know if they had a clue, but thank God God would fill them in, right? God was giving them their instruction. If you get your instructions from the Lord, it's okay, all right? Just remember that. And so their instructions are coming from the Lord through Moses. The request of Joshua, I want you to choose men. According to the historians, he would have had about 500 men, and he would have still been outnumbered. Secondly, he was to command this military operation. That sounds a joke, doesn't it, for somebody who's been a shepherd and a slave, but never been a soldier. But he's going to be a soldier now, and he's going to have 500 uh, first-time soldiers with him also. What an impressive army we have here. Choose men, he said. Secondly, he's to command this military operation. Okay. Then he's to contend with an enemy that's evil and experienced. And this is what Moses tells Joshua to do. And you know, there's no argument. Joshua must have been an incredible young man. Yes, sir. What do we find? It takes faith to do this kind of thing. So he must have been a man of faith. The second thing, he walked by obedience. And we need, if we're going to win any kind of spiritual warfare, we need to be obedient to what God asks us to do. And he did. He was willing to do that. We see him a man of fortitude and a man of fervency. That's the what we see in a Joshua. But there were things required of Moses also. Moses, first of all, was going to climb Well, some can call it a hill, some can call it a mountain. It depends where you live. If you're in Colorado, it'd be a hill. Right here in Texas, it would be a mountain, right? (laughs) And so, this is what Moses has to do. He has to climb that hill and he's going to climb it with two men. Secondly, he's going to be cognizant of what's going on down in the valley. He's up on the hill so he can see what's going on. Because every leader needs to see what's going on. And so he's in a place where he's going to be able to see these things. He climbs the hill. He's cognizant of what's going on in the valley. But also he's been challenged by human weakness. How many of us have been challenged by human weakness? I felt a little bit that way this morning. (laughs) But we've all been there. God wants us to do something. We know God is in it. But suddenly you feel exhausted. Suddenly you're sleeping longer than you usually sleep. And why can't I be this tired? It's that human weakness that grabs us. And here is Moses. He is being challenged. Now note something. Because this is something that happens in spiritual warfare and every battle that we have to fight when the Lord is in it. There's two elements. There's the element of Joshua down in the valley. He's the one that's interacting. He's the one that's physical. And there's always somebody that has to be on that side of the battle, right? But we've got a group up here on the mountain, and they are the ones that's going to be supplicating. They are the ones that's going to be seeking the Lord. They're the ones that's going to be crying out to God on behalf of what's going on. And every spiritual warfare has that. It has an entity in the valley. It has an entity on the mountain. We have one that's involved with the interaction. The other that's involved with intercession. We send missionaries off. We say, we pray for you. We better not forget. Because, you see, Joshua was dependent upon a Moses. And Moses was dependent upon a Joshua and they were both dependent upon Almighty God. This is what spiritual warfare is. We're all in it together, and whatever God places us, we must make sure that we are ready to do what God has called us to do. So we have the interactive of jo- uh, interaction of Joshua, and we have that going up the prayers that's up on the hill, but they were each dependent on each other, both dependent upon God. Verses 11, so it was. When Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But when he got weak and he let down his hand and that heaviness, they found Amalek prevailed. This reminds me about the disciples when they were in Gethsemane. Jesus said, I just want you to pray for me for one hour. And we find that they were heavy. They got sleepy. Have you ever found that when you're supposed to be doing something, for some reason you get sleepy? It seems to be one of those things, doesn't it? They got sleepy and they slept. And here is Moses. He knows how important. And I want you to know in between a Joshua and a Moses, there's the people congregating. And you can be sure they know what's going on. When Joshua, when Joshua is fighting and they see he's losing the battle, they know it's because of that human weakness of Moses upon the hill there when he gets heavy. And there are a lot of scriptures. I want you to know that the lifting up of hands, of holy hands, is emblematic of prayer. There's lots of scriptures. I'll give you three. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 4 says, Let us lift up our hands, hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Isaiah 35 and verses 3 says, Strengthen the weak hands. And I love Hebrews chapter 12. I think it's a picture of what we're talking about this morning. Strengthen the hands that hang down. You see, if we lift up our hands, God reaches hands and his hand down to us. Church, I believe that we need to be lifting up our hands in prayer to the Lord. He who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And when we reach up to him, he reaches his hand down to us. Strengthen the weak hands. I want to ask a question this morning. What do we do when we are heavy? What do we do when we are weak, and there's a battle to fight? I believe, or I call it this, the one another ministry. I'm sorry. I hope you're not in this category. This why I don't want to offend anybody. But I always have a problem with people say, "Oh, of course I'm a Christian. I just don't feel I need to go to church." I want you to know I need church. I need you. If I go through something that I've got enough people in this congregation, I can know I can call them and they'll pray for me. And I know people in this congregation, they wake up, when they're going through it, they'll call me and I'll pray for them. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't this what our Sunday night prayer service is about? We send people out to the mission fields. We send them off on mission trip. Who is holding them up on the mountain? Isn't that what the church is all about? It's one another. So let's see what we have up on the mountain here. We find, first of all, there's Moses. Moses is a prophet. In fact, it tells us when he dies, there was never ever a prophet like Moses. He knew God face to face. He would be able to bring God's word to the people. And when we look up on the mountain and we see that there's that prophetic word which inspires us, that's what we need when we're going through spiritual warfare. We need a prophetic word. You might not, but I do. I need a word from the Lord, right? And that's what Moses represented. But we have Aaron. Well, he's not in the priesthood yet, but he's going to be. And so he represents the priesthood. If the prophetic tells us about inspiration, the priesthood is that of intercession and supplication. Aaron would know what it is to be able to press through to God, with prayers. So while the battle is going on, there's a representi- representation of that. And then we have her. Now, I don't know who her is. I don't think anybody does, doesn't does say anything else about him in the Bible. We don't even have a genealogy on this man. So what's he doing there? I don't know. But I do know this. The name her means light. Light illumination. When we are going through spiritual battles and spiritual warfare, we need inspiration of the prophetic word. We need the intercession of the priesthood, and we're all called to be kings and priests. And we need illumination, right, to represent us. We need light in our darkness as we go through whatever God calls us through. And so we see Moses' is Moses' hands are being strengthened because he's got one side of him, Aaron, and the other side, her, and they are holding his arms up to heaven. And you know what happens, don't you? When we intercede and we break through to God, we win. Because the Bible tells us here when Moses' hands become heavy, they took a stone and so one each side of them held him up. And so verse 13 says, so Joshua, he defeated Amalek. He defeated Amalek and the people. As I was thinking of this, this only came to me like two days ago. (laughs) And I thought, no, I don't need to go there, Lord. But he's brought me there, so I'm going to throw it out to you this morning. There's an incredible comparison here that I want you to see of the picture that I have presented you this morning about the spiritual warfare. And it's this. In the Old Testament, we have Rephidim. In the New Testament, I want to take you to Jerusalem. We see Moses in Jerusalem. We see Jesus. Moses, he's climbing a hill at Rephidim. We see Jesus climbing a hill called Mount Calvary. Boy, you should have been there Wednesday night when we had an incredible sermon by Steve New. It was called The Portraits of Calvary wasn't pretty but it was powerful but we see then we see Moses climbing a hill and we see Jesus climbing a hill we see Moses climbing the hill and he's carrying his rod the rod of God we see Jesus climbing the hill and he's carrying a cross we see uh we see Moses uh, we see Moses with an Aaron and a Hur one each side of him what a beautiful picture that is but we see Jesus with a thief on either side. We find that Moses and her, they help hold up the hands, the hands of, Mo- of uh, Moses because he was weary. For Jesus, his hands were nailed to the cross, and that's what held him up. For Joshua, well, he defeated the enemy. This is the first battle, as I said before, but it's not going to be the last one. There's going to be many more battles that Joshua and the children of Israel would engage with. But for Jesus, this would be the last battle. When he died, what was the words he cried? Say it. It is finished. Joshua would fight again. But for Jesus, the battle was over. The other thing is this. When it was all over, Moses said, we're going to build a memorial here. I believe in memorials. We forget the things that we need to remember so easily, right? And, they need it. and this is just like Jesus. He said to his disciples, I want you to remember me when you partake of the bread and the wine. This is why we have communion in the church, isn't it? Because we have to remember what he has done for us. Moses said, I want you to remember what God has done for you. And I'm coming to a closure. And it says, and Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. Church, do you hear that? The Lord was his banner. He knew that when he was up at the mount, it was because of God's intervention. It was because God was there that they won. It wasn't that the Joshua was so experienced with the sword. No, it was God and it was God alone. He wanted them to remember that. And when we talk about a banner, it literally means an ensign or a pole. It was usually carried by a soldier, and it gave identity to the rank. Get that picture. For Jesus, he becomes our banner. New Testament said, I am identified with Christ. That's what this is all about. And so as I come to a close of this message this morning, I simply want to say this. About the banner, Psalm 20 verses 5 says, "In the name of our God, we will set up our banners." Isaiah chapter 5, 25 says, "He will lift up a banner to the nations." But this is my favorite, and I want you to hear it. And it's this: It says, Isaiah 11:10, "In that day, in that day, a root of Jesse stands as a banner." To the people. A root of Jesse. The root of Jesse was Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our King of kings. He is our Lord of lords. It's because of him that we win the battle. Maybe you today are going through something. Maybe you feel in the wilderness or in a place of nothingness. I want you to know his presence is with you. God is there for his people. He wants to bless you. He wants to enable you. The second thing, this is what the church is all about. You don't have to go it alone. You might need somebody either side of you to hold your arm. And that's what, the, what we're in. It's a one another ministry reaching out. But at the same time, we realize that we don't forget the good things that God has done. And that we have his banner over us. And so our challenge today is that we are to live in the shadow of the cross, but also under the banner of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord today, is it? Let's lift him up and praise him. Lift up holy hands. Your hands are holy if you belong to him, and let's just praise him. God bless you. Amen.